Well, it is my joy to also welcome you this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Don. I'm the lead pastor here at Cross Point Church. Thanks, Tim. And if you're not familiar with Cross Point, this is an amazing church, which is what drew me to this church many years ago, actually five years ago now. And that is this unique vision to reach our community and through our community to reach our, our state, through our state to reach our nation, through our nation to reach the world with this good news that we celebrate this morning. The victory of Jesus on the cross over sin is our victory by faith in Jesus Christ. And the victory of Jesus over death in the tomb is our victory over death through faith in Jesus Christ. We have three congregations that gather on a Sunday morning, or on a Sunday, I should say. Three congregations that are united together. We are one church. Right now, this very moment, we are well over 130 Mandarin-speaking Christians. And Mandarin-speaking people who are curious about Christianity, who are hearing the gospel story, who are hearing the good news of the resurrection of Jesus in their own language right now. This afternoon, we will have two services led by our Korean-speaking pastor, one in English and one in Korean. I love that we are a church that is seeking to reach the people who speak different languages in our community. And I've got to tell you, I love our staff. You've met some of them already. I love the people of Cross Point Church. It is a blessing for me, and I know I can speak for all of our staff, that we get to serve in this church. When I was a teenager, I met Jesus. I didn't grow up in a church, but I met Jesus as a teenager. And I remember reading this quote as a young believer. Here's what it said. Either the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest hoax ever foisted upon the minds of people, or it is the greatest event in all of history. I love that quote because it's true. There are only two perspectives on the resurrection of Jesus. One, that it's a hoax, that the whole thing was a lie, that it never really happened. Now, as I have looked and studied this very issue of the resurrection. When I was just a freshman in college, I had a, a, a speech class, and I spoke, uh, my persuasive uh, speech was on the resurrection of Jesus at a secular university. And it was a great joy to get to speak this truth today. Because either it's a hoax or he rose from the dead. Here's how 1 Corinthians 15 says it. It says this, it says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And then Paul writes these words, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is a euphemism for death. Knowing that Jesus is the first that rose from the dead, and that we who die in Christ will we'll rise with him and live with him for an eternity. Friends, I believe that Jesus lives. But Christianity rises or falls 
based on the claim of the resurrection. There was a, an investigative journalist in, um, at the Chicago Tribune. His name is Lee Strobel. And Lee's wife became a Christian. And he was an atheist. He was a rabid disbeliever of Christianity and Jesus. And so he set out to disprove Christianity, understanding and believing that if he could disprove the resurrection of Jesus as an investigative reporter, then he could disprove Christianity and stop what was happening in the life of his wife. He pursued this issue for a season in his life, and at the end, he fell to his knees, and he said, Jesus, you are my Savior and my Lord. Indeed, you have risen from the dead, and I must give my life to you. As I've looked at the claim of the resurrection, I don't see any other explanation than the reality, which is the second option. That indeed, Jesus was dead on the cross, buried in a tomb, and after three days, he rose again from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he comes to us who believe through the Holy Spirit to give us everything that we need in our lives. Friends, I believe that. I don't have to wait to die to see the resurrected Jesus. I met him as a teenager. And I meet him day after day after day as I open my heart and my mind and my life to him. If, if the claim of Jesus rising from the dead is not a hoax, as I believed, as I looked into at great depth of the claim of the resurrection, it reassured me, it strengthened my faith. And as I looked into it, I realized that because this is true, it means everything that he claimed and that scriptures teach is true. And he deserves my full life. And I have given him my life in response to what he has done for me. Friends, we cannot say that we believe it and not have it completely transform our lives. We cannot say that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead and then continue to live our lives as we always have. When Jesus comes and we understand that he died for us and that he came to life for us, that the two great enemies of our lives, sin and the consequences of sin and death, no longer have power over us. It means that we can live with courage. It means that we can live with faith. It means that we can live with vision. It means that we can live with purpose. It means that we can live the life that Christ called us to live. The resurrection of Jesus matters. It matters. This morning, I just want to share very quickly three things that make a difference in our lives because if we believe, if we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then we will believe in and act upon all the promises of God. We have heard already this morning two great readings from the, from the Gospels. One from the Gospel of, of John, 
chapter 20, and one from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, talking about the story, the account of the resurrection of Jesus. And this morning, what we want to do is we want to see if we believe this, what difference does it make in the way that we live our lives? Well, as we heard already in the readings, Jesus had claimed that he would die and rise again in three days. He had made that claim. He had made that promise. It was so outlandish that it appears that the disciples really didn't think he believed in what he was saying because they were shocked and surprised. When Jesus died on the cross, they thought it was over. It didn't mean anything to them that Jesus had claimed that he would rise again from the dead because that claim was so outlandish. They didn't think it was possible. But listen to what happens. We see that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the Bible says, after they saw that the tomb was empty, they had gone to the tomb early on Sunday morning. When Jesus was crucified, it was right before the Sabbath began, and you can't work on the Sabbath. And so the body of Jesus had quickly been prepared, not fully, and placed in, in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. A large stone was, was rolled across the opening to the small cave. Eventually, the body would decompose, and it would be placed in a little box of, of bones. Or so they believed. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary had come to the tomb early in the morning because the body had never been properly prepared. And there were Roman guards who were present and they were going to roll the stone away so that the body of Jesus could be properly prepared with spices and ointments as was the custom of the day. But when they arrived, the guards were gone. The stone was rolled away and the tomb of Jesus was empty. And so they quickly ran and as they were, they were running, they went to get Peter and John. Peter and John came running to the tomb to see what it was that the women were claiming. And it says that as they arrived, John was first and he stopped outside of the tomb. Peter, impetuous Peter, ran through right into the tomb. And there he saw the linens just lying on the ground. The linens that had covered the dead body of Jesus that Friday night, just two nights before. John now enters the tomb and listen to what it says. He saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. Well, what did he see? He saw that the body of Jesus was gone. He saw that the linens that wrapped the body of Jesus were just lying on the ground. He saw and he believed. What did he believe? He believed that Jesus had done exactly what he claimed he would do. That Jesus had risen from the dead. That Jesus was alive. He saw and he believed. Friends, for some of you, this account may be a new account. Maybe you've never really heard the story of the resurrection of Jesus. As a teenager, as I came to know Jesus, I knew that Christianity would rise or fall on this claim 
And so I studied to understand, were there other explanations? Were there other ways to explain what had happened? The only other explanation is the one that was given by the religious leaders of that day, and that was that the disciples who, were, who had run when Jesus was arrested, who had left and gone back to their lives, that somehow they geared up all this courage, went and stole the body while these Roman guards were protecting the tomb. The Roman guards, the story went, fell asleep. Well, if a Roman guard was, fell asleep on duty, the punishment was death. These were hardened soldiers. They didn't fall asleep while on duty. But it was the only story that they could come up with to try to counter the story that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. And so John saw and he believed. And I want to ask you this morning, as you hear the account of the resurrection of Jesus, you and I don't have the, uh, the opportunity to look into the tomb. But we now can look back on history and we can see the evidence to support the claim of the resurrection of Jesus. And when I looked into that, I saw and I believed. Now what does it mean to believe? It means to believe that Jesus is everything that he claimed to be. It means to understand that every promise that God has made to us, he will fulfill in our lives. If Jesus can fulfill the promise to rise from the dead, he can fulfill any promise that he has made. And friends, he has made staggering, extraordinary, powerful promises for you and for me. I believe and I live my life in light of these promises. Not every promise is yet to be fulfilled in my life, for I'm still living in this world. But I live and seek to live each day in light of these promises. What are these promises? Let me just give you a few. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven. You will be forgiven. Not some of your sins, not most of your sins, all of it. You will know how to live life where there is no condemnation. People may condemn you. People may reject you for mistakes you have made. God never will. It's amazing. As we turn our hearts fully to Jesus, we will find rest for our souls. Rest. Boy, don't we desperately need that? I don't mind physical effort because that I still have energy. I may be physically tired, but my spirit is still strong. My soul is still strong. What wears me out is the problems and the trials of life that weigh on my soul and weigh on my spirit. Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. He hears every prayer I utter. And Jesus intercedes for me before God the Father. And he takes my prayers that I don't even know that I have, and he brings them to God for me and for you who believe. If you turn to Jesus, you will have eternal life for, with him. Now, I have eternal life, for God says that eternal life begins the moment we believe. But one day, my heart will cease to function. My brain will cease to function. 
Some of you think that's already happened. <laughs> but I will go and I will be with Jesus. For God promised that there would never be a moment in all of eternity in which I will be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I may be physically alone when I die, but I will not be alone, for Jesus will be there, and he will usher me into the kingdom of God fully. And I will see God face to face. Friends, when I think about that reality, I want to give everything that I have, every ounce of energy and strength that I have, to live out my life according to his promises. Here's a second thing that I want you to see of three things this morning. And that is choose to walk with the Lord daily and experience real and authentic joy. I love this. I love this. The women have gone to the tomb and now they have left the tomb. It's right before they meet the resurrected Jesus for themselves. We read this. So the women hurried away from the tomb afraid, yet filled with joy. Joy is a unique word. It's a powerful word. Joy is not an emotion. That's happiness. Joy is the result of knowing God. Joy is the result of being completely secure. Joy is a sense of being settled in your soul so that no matter what happens in life, you still remain joyful. Joyful is the result, according to the Old Testament and the New Testament, of being in a relationship with God. It is to be part of the experience of Christian individuals, and it's to be part of the Christian church, no matter what we're experiencing. You see, the difference between happiness and joy is that happiness is an emotion that is based on experience. When things are going well, I'm happy. When things aren't going well, my happiness leaves me, and it's gone. Some of you, you know that already this week. Something great happens, I'm happy. Something terrible happens, I'm sad. But no matter what, whether I'm sad or no matter where, whether I'm fearful, here's the reality. Joy is the result of my relationship with God. It is what's called a fruit of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit's presence in the life of every Christian. I know joy because I know Christ. And joy will never leave me. It will never forsake me. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. When I talk to people, Christians, who have lost a loved one in faith, I say that death for Christians is tears wrapped around joy. The joy is I know where my loved one has gone. I lost my mom last June. I know my mom is in the hands of Jesus. I know she is there. I wept the loss of my mom because I'm going to miss my mom. Just between you and me, I'm kind of a mama's boy. I miss my mom. But at the very heart, the very heart is joy. I preached at my mom's funeral service because I know the joy. I know the joy of knowing where she is. 
that has come out of my relationship with Christ. I want you to see this. Jesus said, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And then he says this, I have told you this. I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete, lacking nothing. Do you have the joy of the Lord in you? Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is fickle. Joy is constant. And joy brings perspective in the midst of tears and challenge. Friends, we are all going to struggle in this world. We are all going to deal with tough things. We're all going to have fearful seasons <coughs> Excuse me, in your life. We're all going to experience rejection. We're all going to be misunderstood. We're all going to get sick. We're all going to lose loved ones. We're all going to face financial pressures. We're going to live at times with unreal expectations that others have for us. Life is not easy, and God never said it would be, but God said he would be there with us in the midst of it, and we would know his joy. I want you to watch this video. I have a lot of heroes in my life. Here's one of them, a man by the name of Nick Vucicic. And I love this guy. I, Beth and I, my wife and I, had a chance to, to meet and to see him speak when we were living in Michigan. And some of you may have uh, seen videos of him or may have had an opportunity to hear him speak. He's a man that was born with no arms and no legs. And he's a man that knows joy beyond that which most of us understand. Joy and purpose in his life. I want you to hear Nick in his own words. I was born without arms and legs and uh, my parents were, were dedicated Christians all their lives and then I came along and really tested their faith. In Christ alone my hope is found He is my light, my strength, my song this Do you know how mothers don't want to hold their firstborn like they're anxious? Well, when I was put next to my mother's side, guess what she said? Take him. Away. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving ceases. If God loved my parents, why would He let something that bad happen to them? Here in the love of Christ, I stand. And I'm thinking, well, why me? Like, I'd go to the shops and, and like, point out to people to God like I said God why don't you why don't you choose her or him like he looks like he could handle something like this I just can't do it this gift of love and righteousness it's just got hard sometimes I really wanted to end my life I just couldn't see anything till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied then I was stumped at the verse where it says, God made you in his image. And I'm like, right. I realized, man, 
why would he make me like this? And I got so angry. I said, God, prove to me that you are real. Prove to me that you made me and that you love me. Why? Why me? There in the ground, his body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain. Why does He let us go through struggles? Why does He let us go through suffering? So He can strengthen us to draw us closer to Him and grow with Him. And as He stands in victory, sin's curse has But I want to tell you that there is a reason why God hasn't answered your prayer yet. He hasn't, quote, rescued you from your suffering because He's strengthening your heart. He's preparing your heart for something more. The joy of the Lord is knowing that no matter what happens, God is with you and He will never forsake you. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. You see that His right arm is nailed to the cross. Nick, you don't have a right arm to be nailed to the cross. You look to His left arm and His left arm is nailed to the cross. You don't have a left arm to be nailed to the cross. Then you look down to His fully extended legs and you see that they're nailed to the cross. You don't have any legs to be nailed to the cross, Nick. The way that God made you, you cannot be put up and limited by being on the cross. Jesus is on the cross for you. You are the unlimited part of Christ's body that's going to go out and spread the gospel like no one's ever dreamed of before. There are times in your life there are storms going to come in your way and it might not be in your control as often they are. And he might not stop the storm, but he's going to embrace you and keep you warm till the storm passes. He speaks all over the world. Hundreds of thousands of people have come to know Jesus through his testimony. Mission, purpose, joy. Joy beyond that which we would ever expect. How can he be joyful? Because he knows Jesus. And Jesus has given his life purpose and meaning and impact. Which brings us to the final point I want you to see this morning. Choose to let the mission of Jesus be the overriding passion of your life. Before Jesus was arrested, on that night he had had a meal with his disciples. And during the meal he talked about the fact that one of them would betray him. And indeed, Judas would. And that he would be arrested crucified and die and rise again. Peter said, Lord, I will never, I will never leave you or forsake you. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, by the time the crow, the, um, the rooster crows, you will have denied even knowing me three times. And that's what happened. Three times Peter said, I don't know that man. You see, he was there trying to see what was happening to Jesus as he was being tried. And 
People in the crowd said, aren't you one that followed Jesus? And he said, no, I don't even know that man. Now Jesus has risen from the dead. And Peter is with Jesus. And Peter, and we're not told what he's feeling, what he's thinking. But can you imagine coming face to face with Jesus who's risen from the dead and you just denied even knowing him? When the pressure was on, I mean, here, what is he going to say? Jesus had once said about Peter, you're the rock upon which I will build my church. And Peter must be wondering, do I have purpose? Do I have mission with all, the, with all I have done wrong? And we read this passage in John 21. Three times Jesus asks Peter, Simon Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I do. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Three times he asked Peter that question. Why three times? I believe it's once for each time he denied knowing Jesus. Now, did Jesus need that for, for Peter? No, Peter needed that. Peter needed to know that not only is he forgiven, but Jesus still has design and purpose and mission for his life. He needs to know that. He needs to know that he has a reason, that he has a purpose, that he has a design, and that God is still going to use him, even in the midst of his brokenness, even in the midst of his failure, even in the midst of his sin. God he has not given up on him. It says in Philippians 1.6, He who has begun a good work in you and in me will continue it until the day of completion. Even with all the mistakes I make in my life, God never lets go of me. And he continues his work in me as he did with Peter that day. He said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. My sheep. Be part of my mission. Be part of my purpose. Be part of my design. Friends, every one of us was created for purpose and for mission. We see even before the fall that Adam and Eve had purpose in the Garden of Eden. Their purpose was to, was to tend to the garden. Their purpose was to be in relationship with God. Their purpose was to be in a right relationship with each other. Their purpose was to be a steward over all that God had created. They named the animals. They have purpose. They have design. God made you for purpose. He made me for mission. He made you for mission. You have design, but your purpose cannot be lived apart from Christ because your purpose is found in Christ. You are to be his ambassador, his witness, where? Everywhere you go, in your workplace, in your home, in your school, when you're playing soccer, when you're playing baseball, when you're at the store, you are to be a witness for Jesus everywhere you go. That's what Nick understood, and that's what Nick is living out, and God has blessed his life immensely. But I want you to hear this. 
I was reading this this morning, actually. There's a um, science magazine called New Science, New Scientist. And in one of its editions, it was asking scientists for their philosophical response to this question. Their scientific and philosophical response to this question. Here's the question. What is the meaning of life? That's the question. Here was one of the responses. One author says, the harsh answer to this question is, quote, it has none. Your life has no purpose or meaning. Your life may feel like a big deal to you, but it's actually a random blip of matter and energy in an uncaring and impersonal universe. When it ends, a few people will remember you for a while, but they will die too. Even if you make the history books, your contribution will soon be forgotten. Humans go extinct. Earth and the sun will be destroyed. Eventually, the universe itself will end. Against this appalling reality, how can any human life have meaning? Wow. You wonder why people do evil in the world? It's because they believe this garbage. There's a girl who's an atheist who posted on an atheist website, a, a teenager. I'm confused. I always believed science would be the cure-all for my problems, but I don't know if I can keep living without eternal life. I guess I'll have to just find a way myself to make it through this meaningless existence. I just wish I knew of someone who could show me the path to eternal life. If science can't provide the answers, then who can? Doesn't it seem like there's a higher power that gives our life purpose? Well, science says there isn't, she says, so I guess there isn't. Jesus rose from the dead. He lives, he rules, he reigns. He wants to come into your life and to give your life meaning and purpose. He created you for mission. That mission may be as a fireman or a policeman. That mission may be as an accountant or a teacher. That mission may be at this point as a student. But that is your mission. And your mission in that is to be a witness, an ambassador for Jesus. And you will see God do the impossible, the incredible through you as you live out your mission. You have purpose. You have design. God created you that way. Will you pray with me? Our Father, how blessed we are to be reminded that you are the God of mission, you are the God of purpose, you are the God of design. Jesus, we come on this day to specifically remember and to celebrate the resurrection. But God, we are reminded that your victory on the cross is our victory. And your victory in the tomb is our victory. And that through faith you come and you make your home in the hearts of all who believe that we may know you now. And we allow you to empower our lives, to transform our lives, to give us purpose and meaning, to comfort us when we need comfort, to strengthen us when we need to be strengthened, to guide us when we are confused. And so, Lord, we come in humility this morning. And we ask you by your the power of your Holy Spirit to come into the heart and into the life of all who choose to make room for you today. 
for some, we're coming home again because we've strayed and we come home again. For some, we come for the very first time. We remember how every one of your disciples, all who ran, how every single one but John would die a martyr's death and not one would recant the claim of the resurrection and the claim that you are Lord of our lives and Lord over the universe. Jesus, we lay our lives before you today. We will die for you, for in you is all things. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children said, amen. Thank you.